The following information should be used for educational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911 or visit your nearest hospital. Welcome to Psychotherapy, a mini-series, a podcast about the what, when, where, and how of psychotherapy. Welcome to our podcast mini-series. We are your hosts. Uh, my name is Alex Flores, and I use pronouns he, him, and they. I was born and raised in Mexico until I was 12 years old, and I moved to the U.S. at the age of 12, and I've been living here ever since. I currently live with my parents and siblings in SoCal. I graduated with a degree in communication sciences with an emphasis in health, and I am passionate about educating patients on how to become better self-advocates in healthcare settings. I love to work with uh, BIPOC people who may not have access to affordable healthcare or who may not have the means to receive appropriate care. And my name's Yvette Flores. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. I was born and raised in California to Mexican immigrant parents. And currently, I live with my partner and dog in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm also a clinical social worker, and I have been working with the Latino community in the mental, public mental health field for 10 years. I'm passionate about destigmatizing and demystifying mental health and psychotherapy services. Today, we're going to be introducing you to psychotherapy. So let's talk a little bit about why we decided to make this podcast mini-series. As somebody that is a mental health provider, I came to understand that there's actually a lot of unknowns about what psychotherapy is for the common person. People don't really understand what it is, what you do in psychotherapy, how you get psychotherapy, what it's for, how you pay for it. So in order to demystify all of that, we have decided to create this mini-series that will explain everything you want to know about how to get access to mental health services. So what is psychotherapy? So psychotherapy can mean a lot of different things, a lot of different approaches to psychiatric and psychological treatment. Today we're going to be focusing on the side of psychotherapy that doesn't rely on pharmacological means. We're going to be discussing talkback therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, amongst others. We're going to start by asking uh, Yvette, when did she first become aware of the concept of psychotherapy? I'm not quite sure when I first became aware of the concept of psychotherapy. I do remember as a young person, probably maybe in middle school or in high school, uh, going through some difficult emotions and um, difficult periods where I was where I always felt that it would be nice to talk to somebody to have somebody to talk to about all these things that I that I was going through. Um, I'm not quite sure that I understood that like I could go to a therapist. The first time that I really became aware of like exactly what psychotherapy was through my own experience was in college. Did you feel like growing up there was sort of stigma surrounding therapy or asking for help or did you even have the notion that that was something that was available to you back then i feel like there was definitely stigma i don't know that i understood it um as clearly as i do now uh now i understand that there exists like uh, a lot of stigma within the latino community around mental health services in general back then i felt like um, I saw it more through the lens of my family culture. My family does not like to talk about their feelings, and it wasn't something that was really acceptable. 
And so I felt like I wasn't able to do that. But yes, I would say that I I had an idea that it's something that I wish I had. Uh, like I wish that I could somehow access like a therapist. But as a teenager, I didn't really quite understand how I could do that uh, on my own. Okay, and to put it into context, this was during like mid 2000. 2005 when you were in, still in high school right yes so we're talking about the period of uh 2002 to 2006 okay okay i think that to to kind of backtrack a little um at that time i wasn't really like i knew the concept of a therapist but i didn't actually know what psychotherapy was um you know like now i understand the hi a, a bit more of the history so like you know alexis you actually shared a little a few minutes ago um with me that the concept of psychotherapy has been around for a really long time yes most people think that psychotherapy started in the late 1800s or early 1900s but it actually stems back from the the greeks as we all know, they were really deep and profound people and they wanted to always explore the concept of the self. And to them, it wasn't so much as like to deal with mental illness, obviously, because that wasn't a term that existed back then. But to them, it was about healing the soul in order to like be like, I guess, the best versions they could be of themselves. They wanted to make sure that their soul or like their heart was well functioning. But obviously, as we know, Sigmund Freud is the father of psychoanalysis and most psychotherapy or psychoanalysis stems from germany that's where psychology has its birthplace um and obviously throughout the years it has evolved and changes in perspectives going from psychoanalysis that freud uh specialized in evolved into behaviorism with people like pavlov or uh, B.F. Skinner. And after them, we started focusing on the human aspect of psychoanalysis and psychotherapy with uh, Carl Jung. And obviously moving forward, everything started to like overlap. Now we have uh, therapy that focuses on both cognition and behavior and other types of psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. This uh, episode will not be delving into the intricacies of the different um, current therapies that exist. Uh, there is a lot of them, but we will mention briefly uh, some of the major ones because these are things that you might actually come across when you're uh, possibly seeking mm -hmm. uh, psychotherapy yes. services. So um, I think uh, we can definitely say that the big players right now, I would say, are... Um, CBT, which yeah. stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And uh, that type of therapy really focuses on um, what thoughts your brain is having and then how they impact you, how they impact your feelings and, um, uh, and behavior, and then making changes so that you're able to live your life in a better way. So if for whatever reason you're having negative thoughts that then cause you to feel, let's say, depressed and then your depressed feeling causes you to not want to go out with friends or family anymore then cbt would really focus on those initial thoughts that uh, then lead to the behavior and the feelings uh, and trying to change them so that your overall functioning can improve another big one in the field is 
DBT, which is Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. This therapy is used, uh, was developed actually, uh, to mainly work with people that have borderline personality disorder. And that is a disorder that can really wreak havoc in people's lives, uh, disrupting relationship patterns, uh, causing uh, dysregulated states where people sometimes can feel suicidal or make attempts against their life. And DBT is um, a therapy that uh, uses several different techniques to try and help people that have this, uh, these symptoms. And the techniques include one-on-one -on -one talk therapy, but they also include skill building classes. They include practicing uh, mindful-based exercises and having access to your therapist outside of therapy sessions. Now note that DBT has now become something that can be used to uh, treat other uh, mental illness, not just borderline personality disorder. And the third one I'll like to mention because I think it's um, fairly new but very promising in the treatment of trauma is EMDR, mm -hmm. uh, which is eye movement desensitization reprogramming. Because I was reading about it and it was created by a psychotherapist, Francine Shapiro, starting in 1988. And it focuses on a person uh, recalling distressing images and then like talking through them. I mean, I've never, in all my years when I was doing therapy, I never, I was never given this form of therapy so i don't know much about it yeah no i think um you you have the the gist of it it's it's a therapy where um uh, like i mentioned earlier it's it's uh, used to treat trauma and illness that results from trauma such as ptsd which is post-traumatic stress disorder um the cool thing about emdr um is that it's not so much based on recounting and processing uh, the past trauma. There is a, an element of, of recounting it, but um, there's not a lot of like working through like emotions. It's actually uh, mostly based on this idea that as you're recounting the trauma, if your brain is uh, engaging in um, this exercise of like moving from side to side, your eyes are moving from side to side, it helps the brain almost restore the memory in a way that is more manageable. So without going too much into detail, trauma usually causes memories to be stored incorrectly in the brain, uh, which then causes them to arise unexpectedly it, when you don't want them to. Like through flashbacks and... Yes. So this idea is that you can think about or even speak uh, about the trauma as you're uh, doing this exercise or moving your eyes back and forth um, and that actually allows the brain to uh, store the memory in the proper way and that helps uh, you not have those flashbacks that can be really disruptive so the idea i think when it came up was revolutionary like now there's been a lot of uh, more research on it that uh, proves its efficacy uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, I think, uh, very, very promising in the treatment of PTSD. Oh, wow. I honestly hadn't heard of it. And I've taken a bunch of psychology classes before. And I, I think this is like the first time that I've heard of it. Yeah. 
and I think it is gaining a lot of prominence in um in the modern space of psychoanalysis because I think I've heard a bunch of people online talking about it, especially since um ever since the book uh the body keeps the score started gaining momentum and like popularity i think uh the the author of the book talks about it because mm -hmm. yesterday i because i started reading it recently and i was on the chapter about ptsd and he was talking about how in order for people who suffer from ptsd to sort of be re-exposed to the trauma in order to like resolve the issue i guess they were given or they used to use uh the rorschach test the ink blot test and they said that for the first image they would be like uh fine but then the second whenever they used to do the second image which usually has color in it the color would trigger a flashback and they think it's because um there was a relationship between like the color and the contrast with the black and white that would create like a chemical response in the brain that would trigger the memory of the trauma and to me that was really interesting because it, it was very like i think out of the out of the i think it was 20 uh subjects of the study that they had i think 17 no it was 15 of them like actually were susceptible to that to like the reaction on the second image but the other five like they were not affected at all but for the other five they said that for them they didn't see anything and usually that's also a bad sign because the human mind likes to imagine things or to make sense out of random things. So if a person cannot imagine or see anything in the ink blot, then you know that there's also something wrong there. And it's because they have like lost their sense of imagination or like to create because they're hopeless. Uh, it sounds like maybe it could also be a sign of um, disassociation. Mm -hmm. um, like losing touch with kind of just uh the brain's ability to to think forwardly mm -hmm, yeah um you know one of the things that happens with trauma is that people get stuck right usually mm -hmm. when the trauma happens and it's hard to think about the future to think about you know goals or dreams um so that makes a lot of sense um so alexis uh you mentioned uh a few minutes ago that uh, you actually have been to psychotherapy. So uh, what was that experience like for you? Um, do you mind talking about maybe what it felt like? And then also maybe like what it was like to go to psychotherapy as a Latino immigrant living in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. So I actually have been to therapy twice in my life um, for very different reasons. So the first time I ever um, sought psychological help, well, it wasn't me that was re like reaching out for help. It was my parents. So I think I was either six or seven. My parents took me to a counselor because I was having a lot of like... Um, I don't want to say behavioral issues, but more like gender dysphoric issues and also um, feelings of, uh, I don't want to say neglect, but it wasn't neglect. It was more like, so to like give you a little bit of context. So my father came to live to the U.S. Um, when I was four. And so I was raised with my mom and my siblings. And I guess I was attached to my dad a lot 
growing up until the age of four and so when he he came to the u.s i was having a lot of like um abandonment issues yes i guess that's the right word to use so i was feeling very abandoned and my mom would see that i would be i would tend to um seek out older older men in my life in a way to replace like my father figure and so that's one of the reasons why she um put me in therapy but also because i was having a lot of like gender dysphoric thoughts which i feel like they were never like really like truly like addressed in therapy but whatever that's a topic another for another episode. yeah that's another episode <laughs> um but so i was into therapy the therapist um they were really nice we talked about like my home life and um why i thought that girls were better than boys and we did a bunch of like exercises i was only in therapy i want to say for about a month i think after my my mom was just like you know it is what it is and so they took me out of therapy and i never thought about it again until later on when i was in my junior year of college and i was experiencing a lot of stress in my life and so i was dealing with a lot of anxiety and because of my anxiety, I started having uh, suicidal ideation. And I sought help right away because I know that that's like a red flag. And at first, when I reached out, I went to my university's psychological counseling services. And they didn't give me an appointment until like a month from the day that I had like gone in to seek help. But I told them that it was like an emergency case because I was already having this like suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. and because of that i was able to see a counselor that same day and we started um individual therapy individual short-term therapy and i was also um they also suggested that i should join an anxiety group um an anxiety like therapy group and i did both because i was really desperate at that at that time and honestly they um they offered me a lot of um coping mechanisms that i've been put that i put into practice and that helped me a lot and this is what people don't understand mental illness is something that you will struggle for the rest of your life with it's not something that it, you can just fix and it'll be gone at some points of your life it's gonna be worse and at others it'll it'll be better you might not even think about it at that moment but it's something that will always be in the background and at that moment when i was really really struggling it helped me a lot and i would always recommend anyone to seek um, psychological help if they feel like they cannot control their emotions or their thoughts or they feel like they're losing control or touch with reality thank you for sharing and thank you for being so candid about exactly what you were experiencing because i do feel like that is something that we come up against within the latino culture and then in the greater culture you know, speaking about things like suicidal ideation, I think can be very hard for some people. Um, it causes a lot of distress, not just within the person that is experiencing it, but also I think for the people around them. And sometimes that can um, create a barrier. Um, so I like how you said that you really advocated to see somebody right away. I think that's really important, an important message uh, for people to take away as they learn about psychotherapy, uh, do not sugarcoat what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, do not feel that you're going to be perceived badly or you're going to be judged. If you're seeking mental health services, you're likely talking to mental health professionals and they 
have seen it all mm -hmm. uh, and if they haven't they will talk to their supervisors or colleagues to get you the best help do not worry about being judged uh, for what it is that you're going through so uh, something also that like I think uh, popped up as you were telling us about your experience is uh, how you really perceive mental illness almost on a continuum it feels like mm -hmm. that you said you know throughout your life there will be times when um maybe 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 i i wonder if it if the continuum is mental health and then there's a different continuum that's mental illness i'm not quite sure but i, I feel like i understood what you were saying like there are moments when mentally we're very healthy uh it's not really maybe a priority in, in our life mm -hmm. and then there are other moments where it really take center stage and we need to address whatever it's coming up for us and i think that's something that has been lost to some extent maybe we're we're like we're getting back in touch with that but this idea that as humans i truly believe that uh we need to address all parts of our health and wellness mm -hmm. that includes physical health you know when we go to like a doctor for a cold or for a broken bone that's that's dealing with our physical health. Um, I believe that it's as important to focus and attend to our mental health, which is exactly what you did when you were feeling all these things. But something I do want to point out something that is really crucial for me in terms of like reaching out and seeking help is that I was in college. And so with your tuition, you do receive a few health services on campus and psychological counseling was one of them and so i don't know if i would have gone to see a therapist if that wasn't offered to me like mm. freely quote yeah. unquote freely because i did pay for it through tuition but i know a lot of people don't have access to health insurance or other forms of you know affordable psychological treatment so we do have to be mindful that not everyone has the financial means to take care of their physical health, let alone their mental health. So yeah. that can also be like a barrier to seeking help. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up because that is something we're going to be talking about later about once you make that decision to seek psychotherapy services, how do you one find them and how do you pay for them right mm -hmm. um so yeah i think that's that's super important uh because that's a very real part of seeking services i think i also want to like backtrack a little and and highlight that for me i also feel like there's a sense of spiritual wellness that and maybe it goes back to what like the greeks were talking about right like mm -hmm. how do how do we heal the soul I think there is such a thing as spiritual wellness that also needs to be taken into account. And perhaps we'll get to talk about this uh, later on in this episode or in another episode, but a lot of the therapies we have mentioned uh, thus far, as well as the brief kind of history we talked about, uh, is very much the history of Western psychotherapy. Mm -hmm, yes. um, and I want to recognize that there are other uh, healing practices that uh, exist in the world uh, that are linked to different uh, traditions, different cultures, uh, that also address this idea of mental or spiritual wellness. I, 
I hope that we can get to uh, a part in this series where we can talk a little bit more about that because I think it's especially important for the Latino community to understand how those two can be uh, intertwined sometimes or can work together to really offer people the best solutions that are available. Also, I think it's important for us to know that we are both Latinos uh, so our perspective is gonna be more centered on our experiences coming from the Latino community and what we have been through. So we can't speak for every other race or ethnicity out there, but I do think that the concept of um, mental health and obviously um, psychotherapy and psychoanalysis is pertinent to everyone and that everyone can benefit from seeking help when they need it. Thank you for for making that um, that clear. So one thing that I thought that was important is to talk about when one seeks psychotherapy. Uh, we've touched a little bit about it um, when you told us your experience. You know, clearly you were having certain symptoms that were out of, like you could tell that they were, you know, not your normal self or your baseline self. And uh, that's what prompted you to to seek services. Uh, I think there are there are many other reasons too why people seek psychotherapy. It doesn't necessarily have to be a crisis situation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people seek psychotherapy to help them maybe like understand themselves better or understand a certain part of themselves better. Sometimes people like me seek psychotherapy because we um, experience a lot of strong emotions, uh, concepts, ideas through our work and it's Mm -hmm. important for us to have uh, our own outlet uh, so that we don't like go home carrying all of that Um, I can imagine other professions that have uh, equally stressful elements uh, also you know Mm -hmm. benefiting from psychotherapy like first responders or or something like that right yeah Um, sometimes people seek psychotherapy um because they've witnessed something, um, you know, traumatic. And this doesn't have to be like any, you know, kind of uh, man-made situation. But like sometimes um, natural disasters happen and that can really impact people. So um, I guess what I want to like clarify is that there's many reasons why people seek psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think that just like with any other physical ailment, we tend to put off going to the doctor or going to see a therapist because we think that we can handle it or that things will get better but sometimes things won't get better and we tend to seek help when it's really at its worst or when it's um its most critical point and i think we need to like demystify not seeking help as a pre-treatment before things get really bad because I think um, there's a saying in the health uh, communication community where we say that um, prevention is the best medicine. Why do you have to wait until things get horrible before you seek out help to make yourself feel better? I think prevention and obviously taking care of yourself in all aspects of health so that can be physical mental spiritual that it would be best when compared to obviously like waiting when you're having a crisis Mm -hmm. like for me for example i was starting to feel like um i was having little like bouts of 
um, extreme anxiety since May of 2018, but I didn't have like a crisis episode until August of that same year. Mm -hmm. So if I had actually been proactive and seen a therapist since May of that year, I wouldn't have, I, well, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have, um, had the crisis episode. No. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that brings up a lot of stuff for me because I totally agree to some extent with the idea that prevention is the best medicine. And also, uh, given the, our backgrounds, right, as, as um, Latino immigrants or children of Latino immigrants, my, back, my professional background working with Latinos, I feel like there's a lot of barriers. Yeah. And sometimes, like, you can't really blame a person for not seeking services mm -hmm. early because they literally cannot. Either um, you're overworked and you don't have time because, you, you know, you're working, you're dealing with your families, and you sometimes don't put yourself first. Yeah. Or you don't have health insurance. Exactly. You're not a student mm -hmm. um, with access to, like, psychological services. Or you might think that if uh, your family finds out that you're seeking therapy or if your community finds out, they're going to call you like local mm -hmm. um, or something like that. Or even going back to the most basic, you might think that just because you don't speak um, English that you might not have access to to um, psychological or mental health services, which mm -hmm. is not true. There are a lot of um, bilingual therapists out there. I mean, we could use more. Well, yeah, obviously we could use more, especially... <laughs> but there are yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are others. That, I think, is a great segue to kind of talking about that ne the next part of this podcast, which is um, once you've decided that, okay, I, I feel like I need psychotherapy services, I am actively looking for psychotherapy services, like how do you find a provider like where do you find a provider what are the things that you should look for in a provider these are all like i think questions that people might not really know how to navigate and mm -hmm. that can itself become a barrier so if you have access to health insurance usually there are some psychological services that are provided through your health insurance so you can obviously reach out through them and see like how many therapists are in your area and like how many sessions you get with your plan. And obviously you can make a decision based on that. But obviously there are other routes that you can take. And Yvette will talk about those. Yeah. Um, so if you do not have insurance and this, I guess, like, let me clarify insurance. Having insurance does count having Medi-Cal. So mm -hmm. even if your insurance is Medi-Cal, um they still have providers uh usually you can uh access either a list or get a referral through mm -hmm. your uh primary care provider so that still counts as insurance um sometimes uh people don't have insurance and in those cases it's a uh, definitely more difficult but it's not impossible uh there are sliding skill clinics that usually exist where people can go um, sometimes these sliding skill clinics are uh, attached to schools. So um, the therapists who work there might be uh, interns, people who are studying to be therapists uh, and who are doing their internship there. And a sliding scale means that they will charge, but they'll charge based on your income usually. Uh, so it can be more affordable than paying uh, out of pocket fully for therapy services. 
sometimes there are free clinics that uh, can offer psychological services. Like I said, there is out-of-pocket pain for psychological services. This, I think, uh, can be very expensive and might be unattainable for many people, especially people who belong to maybe like a working class community. But I do know that there are therapists who will offer pro bono services or who also have sliding scale services. Um, so that's an option that um, you could look for. Something else that has become really popular in the last year, ever since the COVID pandemic started, is I've seen a lot of ads for um, mental health services online that tend to be cheaper than an in-person therapy session. So they're you they'll um, usually based on like they'll ask you questions and um, based on your income and like what part of what part of the world you are in. They'll accommodate the the people seeking help. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the ones that come to mind are like Better Help. Better Help, yes. I'm not quite sure. I know there's like a few big ones, um, but I can't uh, think of them right now. Something as as somebody that is a clinical social worker, so my job is um, essentially doing therapy with people. I think uh, I I am wary of those services sometimes because they are fairly new. I don't I don't doubt that the people who work for those services are are professionals, credentialed professionals, but I I do wonder how effective they can be uh, because they seem very much like kind of more like on demand. Like mm-hmm. uh, when I need it, I like text my therapist or call my therapist, yes. um, which sometimes can work for some issues, but then there are some issues where consistency, long-term consistency is, is better Mm -hmm. so i think there's still a lot of research to be done in that realm to determine whether psychotherapy delivered in that way can still be effective in treatment in treating uh different illnesses but they definitely are there and i think you know for maybe younger generations it actually might feel more comfortable you know especially like the generation that like kind of likes to do everything through text mm-hmm. or like online not so much in person okay so what if i decide to start attending therapy what is it like and what should i expect great question um so i think um once you've decided to start therapy once you've chosen a therapist called them set up a consultation then what you what you should expect is the first meeting to be a consultation where you get a chance to ask questions and they get a chance to ask you questions. Usually a consultation is free. Uh, it's, it's more like 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, but this is going to be your opportunity to ask some really good questions, not just about like what their training is, what their credentials are, but also really try to understand kind of their philosophy and uh, maybe their worldview. Um, there's a lot of articles out there that have good questions that you can ask a therapist when you first talk to them. I was surprised that in like the Google search I did, there there wasn't a lot of information about how to really address like a therapist's cultural background. Uh, only one of the articles on the entire first page really addressed it, and uh, that was a an article from Therapy Den that basically is called a beginner's guide to therapy um 
I do think it's important to ask those questions from the get-go. You know, if you are uh, somebody who maybe has certain identities, um, maybe you're part of the LGBT community, maybe you are part of a marginalized community, a cultural community, uh, maybe you have a certain experience growing up in the U.S. that is very important to what the work you're going to do. I think sometimes people want to feel like their therapist understands yes. them to, to some extent. And so I think that's totally valid to ask. So you do the consultation, you decide that, okay, this is a good fit. Then you'll probably set up, you know, ongoing um, appointment and you'll start the therapy uh, by usually talking about, you know, kind of like what it is that you're looking for, why you're there, uh, maybe setting up some treatment goals. And usually for your first real therapy session, you will be given um, an inventory that you have to fill out with all of your symptoms, all of your concerns and all of the things that you're dealing with. And this will help the therapist sort of guide the first therapy session and to know what you are going through and so that they can actually like help you and focus on those specific areas yeah so i think you're you're speaking about the assessment the assessment yeah. yeah the intake assessment yeah yeah and um you know assessment is exactly what it sounds like it's where the therapist really uh, assesses what what all the things kind of going on in your life are mm -hmm. uh that they could possibly potentially uh help uh, help you with. I do want to um, say like sometimes some therapists have like a very organic way to do an assessment. Uh, they just kind of like maybe uh, it's very much kind of talking uh, depending on what setting you're in. Maybe if you're in a more structured setting like maybe a short-term therapy at Kaiser or maybe you're going to therapy through uh, your medical. Um, sometimes they have to fill out like more structured forms, and they might actually go through like a series of questions that they would ask you. So be prepared to like see some variation in how that assessment and treatment planning happens. So I think it's important for us to talk about the treatment and treatment planning uh, in regards to therapy, because I think a lot of people have this misconception that when they go to therapy that they're probably like they're gonna get better right away or that they're gonna be given like medication and things will just get better like out of nowhere but i do think that it's important for us to demystify that as well because therapy is a form of treatment and treatment can sometimes be um can take a while in order mm -hmm. in order for it to see to for you to see results so that's important for us to um talk about because it's in nothing is a magic fix nothing um will work right away so sometimes it can take a really long time mm -hmm. to see results other times you'll see results in a few weeks yeah no i think um you're totally right and you know i don't i can only speak from maybe like um you know anecdote anecdotal experience uh through my my work but i i do feel sometimes 
uh, I feel like Latinos do come in kind of yeah. like, uh, like they can, like, go fix through one session and then they think that they're fine. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like that. And it's not. And I don't, I'm not quite sure I understand where that comes from. Maybe it is precisely that lack of information about what therapy is. But you're right. I, I do agree that it's not a quick fix. Um, it doesn't mean that you're immediately going to be put on medication. Psychotherapy is actually a completely different thing than psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most therapists, unless they have a dual degree or something, most therapists cannot uh, prescribe, pre- prescribe medication. medication. Mm-hmm. It, they can discuss it with you. They can maybe help you understand if, it's that, if that's something you should explore. But they, they cannot prescribe and will usually refer you to uh, a psychiatrist mm. who can prescribe medication. So that's really important. Um, I think this brings up like the question, like how long do I need to go to therapy? It depends, you know? So for me, when the second time, like I was saying, when I was a child, I think I only went to four or four to six uh, sessions when I was a child. Uh, and when I was in college... Since the college only offers, I think, six to nine therapy sessions, um, if you're getting short-term therapy, then that's all they offer. So you would go every week or bi-weekly, depending on, like, how busy they are. And within those uh, four to nine weeks, they try to work with you and give you the best coping mechanisms that you can have um, in order to, quote-unquote, resolve the issue or for things to get better. But like I was saying before, sometimes you may need to be seeing a counselor for a longer period of time. And if that's the case, then you would have to like discuss it with them and then they would refer you to other uh, places and with other clinicians. Yeah, I'd say it really depends on, on kind of what you're going through, what your goals are. I feel like if your goal is to maybe regain some functionality that you have that you have lost get back to your baseline short-term therapies can work well for that Mm -hmm. um because usually you'll learn some skills practice them both within the therapy and outside of therapy and that can actually be a quick process if you're dealing with something that maybe is more related to childhood trauma or a trauma that happened a long time ago that you never really addressed and now it's like really spiraled into more things, Mm -hmm. then that can really take longer. So I say it really depends. Within my work settings, I think typically what I've seen is people are told that they'll be in therapy for like a year. And then at the year mark, we reassess whether it's still needed whether it needs to change somehow, whether something else needs to be added. But um, yeah, I'd say I'd say it really depends. Yeah, I think it's important for people who are seeking therapy or who may want to consider therapy as a possible treatment option for whatever they're going through to have realistic expectations, which is something we just talked about and know what they're going to be there to treat 
Because sometimes, like, I think you go to a therapy session and you think you're going to be talking about something and it, like, changes or completely transforms into something else because you don't, you didn't realize that you had a lot of trauma or that there were things that you were dealing with but you didn't really acknowledge. Mm -hmm. So I think that, like, because like, that can also affect the longevity of the treatment mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So, so I hear... I feel like what you're saying is to really like have go and in, go in informed as mm -hmm. informed as you can, but also have some flexibility. Yeah. And uh, and be open to a changing and morphing into maybe something mm -hmm. you weren't expecting and 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 be OK with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the last topic I want us to talk about is uh, equally important to everything else. It's what happens If I made the decision to go to therapy, I found a therapist, I started therapy, and maybe I've been to like two or three sessions and I don't like my therapist. What should I do? I've experienced this and I know that you have also experienced this. So, okay, you can go first and then I'll okay. um, give my take. So this is where I feel like um, this belief in like self-advocacy comes up uh, very strongly for me. Uh, I imagine it will for you too. I think it is important as somebody who is going to therapy, if you do not like your therapist to speak up about it as soon as you feel that come up and address it and then decide whether you'll stay with your therapist or change therapist. Some people, especially maybe like people that have been raised in a certain way might feel embarrassed to like bring it up they might feel like they're being rude by saying like hey like i'm not really feeling comfortable they might defer to the therapist because there's a power dynamic because they have like you know education um or a degree but really therapy is not going to work if you don't feel comfortable as a client or patient mm -hmm. so i think what you can do and what i Uh, recommend is to bring it up with your therapist immediately when you feel that and then open the door to actually talking about it like okay like what exactly do you not feel comfortable with like is it maybe their style is it that you don't really feel like it's helping is it that there's something about their beliefs that really clashes with your beliefs and that's making it hard to really even uh focus on the work so i'd say bring it up immediately and then be okay if like the decision is that you have to change therapist because you don't want to stick around with somebody that you're not comfortable with it's not really going to lead to uh, the best healing that you can get or the best services so yeah bring it up so for me i have a very conflict avoidant or confrontational avoidance uh, mentality i don't like confrontation which is another topic for another <laughs> episode but for me that can be really difficult especially because i don't want to make the person feel like they're inadequate like they're not giving me something that i need so for me in my experience and what i've done and i don't recommend people to do this i actually stopped seeing my therapist because i i didn't like enjoy the service so instead of like confronting them and like talking to them about like how i was feeling in therapy i just like stopped going altogether and i do not recommend that people do that that's 
you ghosted your therapist i did honestly <laughs> and that's immature of me and i know i shouldn't have done that but i don't recommend that people do that just like yvette was saying you need to talk to them about how you're feeling and if you guys cannot come to an agreement or if the therapist feels like they might not be able to accommodate everything that you want or that you're needing at that moment that they will probably either they might they even may recommend other um therapists who may be more suited to address your concerns yeah and and i i i like you know i'm joking with you that you ghosted your therapist I but did. but i still feel like you know, I'd rather you ghost your therapist than stick with a bad therapist or a therapist that you don't feel comfortable with. Because I think it's also important to acknowledge the fact that you're probably paying for these services. So you are, you know, you're using your money. And if it's not going to be invested into something, because I think therapy is an investment. Mm -hmm. You're investing into a better future. You're investing into a better uh, state of mind. And if you're not getting anything back, then, like, what's the point of being in therapy? Yeah. And I think it is hard sometimes when you do have clients that just kind of fall off, you know. Um, but that's, you know, that's our problem. You know, we'll talk to our therapist about how we <laughs> feel about it. Um, I think there is an understanding that sometimes it's just not the right time. Mm. Uh, of course, I always prefer uh, having that opportunity to be able to talk it through with people. Uh, but I know that if it doesn't happen, um, it's not the end of the world. Something that I learned through my training that has really stuck with me is this idea that like opportunities to, to connect, to heal, are like a bus um the bus will always come back around mm -hmm. even if you miss it that first time uh it's not the end of the world because you know that another bus will come back around and that has really helped me as a therapist because sometimes yeah you you miss connections with people sometimes you are in therapy and and in the moment you miss a little detail or a little opportunity to do an intervention and it can be hard but but just know that there's always another opportunity to really uh, connect and, and do the work. And, and I think that applies to seeking services. Uh, sometimes it's just not the right time. And that's yeah. okay. So I think this brings us to the end of this episode. Yes. You know, if you stuck with us, thank you so much. I hope that you learned a lot about what psychotherapy is uh, and some of the steps that you need to take if you actually decide to start your journey in psychotherapy. We're going to be doing a few more episodes uh, focusing on different aspects of psychotherapy. So listen to our next podcast to learn about what to expect during the core phase of your therapy once you decide to take that step.